God is doing a great work of salvation. I believe that. I believe that's true. God is doing a great work of salvation. And yet it's very easy to forget that this is true. Or it's very easy to sort of agree with this statement. You think it's probably true. You think it it sounds like it's probably the right thing to say. And yet if if you really were honest with yourself, if you really examine where you are at the moment, it's, it's hard to believe that that's actually happening, that God is actually right now, today, doing a great work of salvation. I, I try to beat this drum for us pretty frequently, that God is doing something incredible here. But I had an experience last week that showed me how, frankly, dead that truth had become to me recently. I, I admit that I've been pretty discouraged in the last several weeks as I've been trying to build relationships with those who are not followers of Jesus. And I, I kept feel like I kept hitting roadblock after roadblock, and I was just growing increasingly frustrated with, with how things were going, how things were looking. I, I realized I even got to the point where I wasn't praying regularly for the people that I'd committed to praying for, that they would come to understand Jesus and come to follow Him. And last Tuesday, uh, a group of pastors gathered to pray for our community. We, this is the second time we've done this, and the first time we did it in early October. One of the pastors encouraged us that, that this would be a time where we were praying for people who don't yet know Jesus, people who are outside of the, the gathered people of God. So we were going to pray that God would, would bring people to faith through our churches, that we would see more people come to follow Jesus, to, to praise the name of God. And so we started sharing what we had seen God do in the past month. And I, I have to admit, when I first heard that we were going to be sharing these things, I thought, well, I've got nothing. You know, I, I, I guess I've sort of lost hope in this. But story after story after story, more than half a dozen pastors shared that God had been working and they had seen people come to faith in the past month, just in October. One story in particular struck me powerfully. One of the pastors uh, regularly goes to the, the jail here in town and ministers to the people who are, who are in jail. And there was a, a young woman there who had committed a very serious crime, and she was facing a, a long prison sentence, perhaps the rest of her life. And the first time he went and saw her, she had somehow gotten a Bible, and she kind of held it up to him and said, I don't know anything about this. I don't know anything about God. I don't know anything about Jesus. I don't know anything about the church or Christianity. I don't know anything about any of this. But, but someone gave me this Bible, and I started to read it. And he said, well, that's great. I encouraged her along that. And he came back the next time. And as he sort of kept visiting this woman, he, he noticed that she would open her Bible. She had some markings in it. She had some passages that were underlined and little exclamation points here and there. And in fact, one paragraph had a, a heart circled around the outside of it. And he said, well, what's the heart there for? And she said, I love that passage. And he read it, she read it to him. And eventually this, this pastor started to explain the, the basic gospel message to her the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, that that every single one of us is a sinner who's far away from God, who's deserving of eternity in hell. And yet, despite that, that God sent His Son to show us what it means to live a life of obedience to God, and, and He sent Jesus to die to take away that death penalty for us, and that the way we receive that and the way we are reconciled to God is through Jesus by putting all of our faith, all of our hope, all of our trust in Him explaining the basic gospel to her. And she said, yeah, I did that this week. 
I was reading my Bible, and I, I came across this, and, and that's what I did. I put all of my faith and trust in Jesus. And then she went on to explain what, what that meant for her. For the first time in her life, she felt freedom. For the first time in her life, she felt like she was released, liberated, free. And here's a young woman. She's, I don't know, maybe 20, 22 facing a long, long sentence in prison. And she's saying, for the first time in my life, I feel free. And the incredible thing is that this pastor, I mean, he's saying, I didn't do anything here. I didn't even give her the Bible. I didn't pray the prayer with her. This was 100% the work of God. Again, now, but... The tears are welling up because God's at work. It's so easy for me to forget that. And yet it's true. God is doing an incredible work of salvation. Here and now. He's doing it effectively. I'm ashamed that I have to confess to you that I've lacked faith in that. Satan has discouraged me to the point that I I realized I stopped believing it. And so today, here we are with a text before us that proclaims this message so powerfully. God is doing a great work of salvation. No matter how things look in your life or how things look in the particular little lens that you're seeing through, God is doing an incredible work of salvation. His plan is going forward, no matter how frustrating things feel for you, no matter how discouraged you are, God is doing His work. It is going forward powerfully. God is doing a great work of salvation. You think about how easy it is for us now to get discouraged at the seeming unresponsiveness of people to the message of Jesus. And then you think back to Paul's day and and how much he loved his people, Israel, how he understood that these were God's people and he understood that all of these promises in the Old Testament, they don't look like they're happening right now. You think Paul had reason, more reason than I do, to be discouraged, frustrated. Here are God's own people, his family. They're hearing the message of Jesus and they're rejecting it. But despite that, despite how bad things looked and how frustrated Paul must have felt with his own people, he is able to proclaim an important truth that we must hear too. Even when God's own people are rejecting the Savior that God has given them, the truth is that God's plan of salvation is going forward effectively, fruitfully. God is doing a great work of salvation. This morning we're in Romans chapter 11, verses 11 through 36. We're, we're closing out another section of the book of Romans, and it's a, it's a great section because it's proclaiming this truth. It's, it's looking at the, the story of Israel, looking at the, the current situation, what's happening right now in salvation history, and it's proclaiming this truth for us. It's teaching us that right now God is doing a great work of salvation. 
And to help us understand this, Paul is going to explain two sort of steps in salvation history, kind of the current one and then what's next, what's on the horizon. So, so two steps in God's great work of salvation this morning. Step one, God is using the bad situation that Israel is in right now. God is using Israel's rejection of Jesus to bring salvation to the nations. Look with me at verses 11 through 16. Romans 11. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I am talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, then so are the branches. Now the theme in the last three, this three, section, three chapter section of Romans, Romans 9 to 11, is that Israel has rejected Jesus. And, and Paul is explaining what that means for him. So it's clear that Israel has tripped. They've, they've stumbled. They've rejected Jesus. They've rejected God's salvation through his Messiah. But the fact that they've stumbled, they've tripped, doesn't mean that they've fallen forever, that they've fallen into complete spiritual ruin, that God is totally done with them. What we as non-Jewish Christians need to understand is that God is using the Jews' rejection of Jesus to bring salvation to us. Now we might say, well, okay, well, their loss is our gain. That's great. And there's maybe a sense that that's true, but that doesn't tell the, the full picture. Even in this first section here, these, these first verses, there's a hint that God isn't done with Israel. So look, look down through these just briefly with me here. Verse 11, he's saying that this is happening to make Israel jealous. Verse 12, he talks about Israel's full inclusion. He's hinting at that, saying that's going to be an even greater blessing for the nations. In verse 14, he again talks about his desire to save the people of Israel. And in verse 15, again, he hints at Israel's acceptance and that marking the, the final resurrection, the final stage of God's salvation. So these are all hints that there's going to be a second step here. And yet, we've got to focus first here on the, the first step. This first step that Paul is talking about is what's happening right now in salvation history. God is bringing salvation to the nations, even using Israel's rejection to bring salvation to the nations. So the fact that God is hardening all but a, a remnant of Israel, that's what we saw back in, earlier in chapter 11, God is hardening Israel, but he's doing that so that he can extend the message of salvation beyond ethnic Israel to include the whole world. Now, this is really good news for those of us who aren't Jewish because it means that God is saving us. He's opening the message of Jesus for us to receive. But at the same time, we have to realize that it's really not about us. This isn't about any one of us individually. This is about God and his great work, a great work that he's doing. So think about it this way. If, if God had always only had the Jews in mind, that would be a pretty small sliver of humanity. 
Today, there are roughly 15 million Jews in the world. It's a, it's a very round number. It's a rough number. It's hard to you know, have an exact number. It's not like a, a national entity like the U.S. where you could say there are X number of people in the United States. Jewish is a little harder of a category to define, but roughly 15 million Jews. And yet in the world right now, there are 7 billion people. I have a little graphic to show what 15 million out of 7 billion looks like. That tiny little sliver there, it's almost imperceptible. That's the number of Jews. That's 15 million versus the whole circle being 7 billion. Now, if God had always only dealt with the people of Israel, had ignored the whole 7 billion of the world right now, that would be, that would be too small of a mission. So by extending it beyond Israel, God is making this mission bigger. He's opening up to include the whole world here. And all the people on the face of the world are the mission that he is pointing at now. See, if it was only Jews, that would be too small. God is worthy of all the praise of every single creature in the universe. So to have only millions praise him is not enough. No, he's targeting billions and billions with his message of salvation. And really, that's been the pattern from the very beginning. When God called Abraham, go look back at Genesis 12, 3. When God called Abraham, he would, said he would bless him, and he said that all nations would be blessed through him. In other words, it's always been through this one family, through the family of Abraham, through the Jews, out to the whole world. The ministry of Jesus was the same way. He was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And when he, when he first sent out his followers, he sent them to Israel. And then at the end, after he died and rose again, and right before he ascended, he said, go into all the nations. Make disciples of all people. So it's starting with this small group, starting with Israel, starting with the Jews, and then covering the entire human race. The mission of God is, is too big to just have this small number of people. The mission of God is, is huge. In uh, 1940, two brothers decided that they were going to open up a restaurant. So they opened up a barbecue restaurant in California. About eight years later, they decided that they wanted more customers. They weren't getting enough uh, traffic flow through. So they, were gonna, they decided to change up their system, changed up what they do, and they started selling hamburgers. And they, they went to sort of a production line uh, idea so that they get more product out, more customers serve more people. Their goal was to make a million dollars by the time that they were 50 years old. And so they realized that one little hamburger stand's not going to do that. So they uh, decided to kind of sell the idea to another person, and they had a franchise then. They started in California. They franchised out to Phoenix. So now they have two stores. And they're kind of growing slowly. They get two, and then they get three, four, and eventually they've got about a dozen. Well, a traveling salesman, a man who sold uh, milkshake uh, machines, named Ray Kroc, found out about this idea, and, and he decided that there was an incredible amount of potential here. So he partnered with the brothers. He, he kind of joined onto their company, and he really wanted to aggressively expand this uh, franchise idea. And the, the brothers were, you know, they had their goal of a million dollars by the time they were 50 years old, and, and they had their dozen or so stores, and, and they felt like things were pretty good as they stood. They, they weren't really looking to add a whole bunch more stores. And, and so Ray Kroc eventually got pretty fed up with them and ended up buying them out. So in 1961, he bought out the two McDonald's brothers for $2.7 million, and the result is what we see today. Over 30,000 stores across the globe in 120 different countries 
one and a half million employees, and every day they serve 60 million customers. That's the kind of exponential expansion that God is dealing with here. The people of Israel, yes, they are His people and they are His chosen possession, but it's not enough to just have them. No, this is a God who made the whole world and He's in the process of recreating, redeeming the whole world. It's not enough to have one little hamburger stand or nine hamburger stands or a dozen hamburger stands. No, He's got to go all the way across the globe with this message. I'm going to say that's challenging to me. I'm, I'm a naturally conservative kind of person and I, I kind of would be enough with maybe just one hamburger stand or just a few because it seems like, well, that's, that's enough to make a living or whatever. But, but God is challenging us to something more than that. It's not enough to just have a small number of people who are following Jesus and, and proclaiming the name of Christ. It's not enough. No, this is a mission that, that now encompasses the whole globe. Everyone, everywhere needs to hear this message. God's mission is beyond just the hundreds and thousands and millions. It's to the billions. God's mission is global. It's bigger than that. So this is what we're learning from this first step. Even as Israel is rejecting Jesus, God is using that for his great work of salvation. He's using that to move forward in his plan to expand it beyond this small number to a bigger and bigger and bigger number. Now, before Paul moves to the second step, he wants to make sure his readers understand what that means for them. Look at verses 17 to 24. If if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? What those who have made the decision to follow Jesus, those who have been enfolded into the flock of God need to understand is that this is not about me. This is more than about us. This is the work of God. The worst thing that we non-Jewish Christians can do is to grow proud about this and to brag about our position in Christ, thinking it's somehow showing that we are superior to others. Paul is going to actually kind of put us down a little bit with this olive tree metaphor. The olive tree is the true people of God. The root of the olive tree is the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
We know that because Jewish apocalyptic writers regularly use the word root and that kind of imagery to speak of the patriarchs. It's very likely that Paul's doing the same thing, drawing on the same tradition. So the root is the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The branches, the natural branches, are those who trace their ancestry back to the root, Jewish people, the people of Israel. Now some of those branches, those natural branches, the people of Israel have fallen off the tree of God's true people because they've rejected Jesus. And it just so happens that as those branches are broken off, other branches are being grafted in. That's you and me. Now, what we need to know about those branches that are being grafted in is that these aren't good, cultivated, fruitful branches. These are branches from a wild olive tree. Now, you and I aren't Mediterranean farmers. We probably very few of us know anything about agriculture there and what a natural olive tree is or a wild olive tree versus a cultivated olive tree. What we need to know is that cultivated olive trees are tremendously fruitful. When you think about all the the olive production in the Mediterranean world, that's showing how, how great of a crop this is in that climate. And what we need to know is that a wild olive tree is exactly the opposite, is notoriously unfruitful. So cultivated olive tree, very fruitful. Wild olive tree, you're not going to see any fruit on that. So if we non-Jewish Christians start to think of ourselves as, as sort of pretty cool that we've been grafted onto this tree of God's true people and we start to think that we must be pretty special indeed and in fact we're probably superior to those branches that have fallen off, Paul's going to pretty quickly burst our bubble. He's saying, listen, you are not from this tree. You don't naturally belong to this beautiful cultivated olive tree of God's true people. In fact, you're the kind of branch that is notoriously bad. You're the kind of branch that is naturally unfruitful, unproductive, incredibly frustrating. It just so happens that in his infinite grace, God has grafted you onto his beautiful, cultivated, fruitful olive tree. And so don't think of yourselves as better than them because the only reason you are grafted onto that is because you've put your faith in Jesus. If you stop putting your faith in Jesus, stop trusting him, the same thing's going to happen to you that happened to the Jews who rejected Jesus. And in fact, when they turn from their rejection of Jesus and actually put their faith in him, well, of course they're going to be back on that olive tree. They are the natural branches. So as we hear this first step, as we hear that God is using the situation of Israel to extend his plan of salvation to the nations, we must respond not with pride, but with great fear and great humility. It's like this could only be the work of God. It could never happen another way. No one grafts wild olive branches onto a cultivated olive tree. If anything, you do the inverse of that. That just doesn't make any sense from a horticultural standpoint. And yet God in his grace has done that. So we respond not with pride and saying, well, that's great. Look at who we are compared to them. Instead, it's, awe and reverence that God would include even us in his people. What we need to hear here is that this is not about us. This is about God's big plan, that we are included in it is a testimony to God's powerful grace. But there's no room for feelings of superiority here. There's no room for boasting here. There's no room for anything other than humble fear of God. And we learn that God is doing something amazing here. That God is including even us as a testimony to his incredible work of salvation. 
Salvation that is based only on His own grace. So step one, God bringing salvation to the nations. And then we hear step two, what was hinted at earlier. God's bringing salvation to Israel. Look at verses 25 to 27. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. It's easy for us as as non-Jewish Christians to assume that God is done with Israel. To look at how things are and look at the church and just think, well, perhaps God has just replaced Israel with the church. And yet, that's not true. The way Paul talks about this olive tree, he's making it clear that the olive tree of God's true people is Jewish. It is rooted in God's promises to the patriarchs. It's also tempting for us to think, okay, well, the church is a second operation of God that's distinct from his work with the people of Israel. But, but that's not true either because it's one olive tree of the true people of God. It's, it's rooted in the Old Testament promises to the patriarchs. It's naturally Jewish in brand, and it just happens to have branches grafted in from every single people group. What God is revealing through Paul, this is the mystery that that is helping us to better understand what's happening right now, what will happen in the future. The mystery that God reveals is that God will save his people, Israel. He's not done with them. Israel as a corporate entity will be saved. That's what he's saying here in verse 26. In this way, all Israel will be saved. This is the plan of salvation that God has put together from the beginning. So God's hardening of Israel, the the thing that looks so bad in Paul's day, is setting the stage for an incredible work of salvation. This is what's happening. Look at verses 28 to 32. As far as the gospel is concerned... They are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God and have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. In other words, Israel's disobedience, that that first step that we saw, Israel's disobedience opened the door for this huge plan of salvation that's beyond just this one particular people group. And now God's mercy extending to the nations provides the opportunity for him to bring salvation to his own people, Israel. This is the way salvation history is heading. Now God's mercy to the nations is opening up his plan for salvation for Israel. What Paul is indicating here is that there is great beauty in God's plan. He is bringing this thread of salvation history, the root of salvation history, he's bringing that to completion. These great promises that he made to Israel will be made true. So we see that God is orchestrating all of human history to bring his salvation on the same basis to everyone. What the Jews need to know is the same thing that we need to know, that we are totally reliant upon God. 
And so the Jews chose the route of disobedience. And that's the same route that we choose from birth. Naturally, we chose, choose the path of disobedience. God extends mercy to us through Christ to bring us salvation. The same thing is happening with Israel. God will extend mercy to them through Jesus Christ. So what we learn here is that God is doing something beyond our comprehension. His plan is beyond our ability to fully understand and fully grasp. And yet the solid ground is that God is doing a great work of salvation. A great work of salvation that includes all nations, all people groups, all across the globe. And a plan of salvation that includes the salvation of his own people, Israel. Now I was thinking about how impressive the story of the growth of the McDonald's franchises has been. I mean, starting from two brothers in a little barbecue restaurant and, and going all the way across the globe. And that's really impressive to me. I, I have to admit, it's very impressive. And then I got to thinking about it, and I thought, well, what's more impressive than that is, is the story of the church. I mean, here's one man, Jesus Christ, getting a, a group of people to follow him, 12 disciples following him for three years, and then he dies, he is raised to new life, and then he's ascended into heaven. There's a group of about 120 believers in Jerusalem, 120. We've got about 120 people here today, not a lot of people. And then God sends the power of his Holy Spirit on Pentecost, and Peter preaches this sermon when there's 120 believers. He preaches this sermon, and and God's power moves among the people, and 3,000 people in Jerusalem come to believe in Jesus that that first day. One day, 3,000 more people. So one person to 12 people to 120 people to 3,120 people. And, and the story of Acts is the continuation of that story. People adding to their number every day, sometimes one, sometimes thousands. It's this incredible story of growth. And then from Jerusalem, they start to experience some persecution. And then they start going out over the, the whole known world at that time, the whole world of the Mediterranean. And when Paul's writing, the gospel has taken root in the capital city of Rome. And that's these people he's writing to in this book right here that we've been studying. It's going out to Rome now, the capital of the empire. And as we'll see as we get toward the end of Romans, he's writing to them saying, I want to go on to Spain. I want to go further than that and keep proclaiming the gospel to the edges of the empire and beyond. I I wish I had a map that showed kind of the, the spread of Christianity across the nations. I couldn't find one quickly, but it starts there in Jerusalem and just goes out over the whole globe. I, th- I think about this Sherman-Williams thing that, you know, the paint just covering the whole globe. And, and that's what the gospel is doing. That's the story of God's salvation. It's covering the entire earth right now. So yeah, McDonald's might have stores in 120 nations, but, but there are Christians in virtually every country across the whole globe. There are millions and millions, even billions of people who call on the name of Christ today. And we're not just giving out hamburgers. McDonald's is just selling things. They're just giving people food for money. But this is, this is something true, substantial, meaningful. This is the message that, that's not just feeding someone for a day, but it's a message that brings healing and wholeness, a message that brings peace and joy and hope. Like that that woman sitting there in jail who for the first time realized that she was set free. This is the power of God at work to change the world. So much more than hamburgers. This is real, true life change. God seeing broken people and healing them with the power of the message of Jesus. 
God is doing an incredible work of salvation. So what do we say? Verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Yes, what can you do after hearing the incredible work of God but to fall on your knees and praise Him for what He is doing? What can you say other than God's plan is speechless? I can't even, I can't even say anything. How deep the riches, the wisdom, and knowledge of God are. Praise Him for what He's doing. His plan is it's beautiful beyond our understanding. His plan, His salvation is, is beyond our judgments, beyond our criticisms, beyond our questioning. God is doing a great work of salvation. It's incredible. It's a story that's much, much bigger than you and me. It's a story that's much, much bigger than the people of Israel. It is the creator of the entire cosmos making all things new making all things as they were always meant to be. God bringing His salvation to people who are desperate for salvation. God is working in the world today in amazing ways, in surprising ways, in ways that we don't often see, that we can't understand. And incredibly, you and I get to be part of this. God has called us to be His heralds, His messengers. We get to proclaim the healing and wholeness of the gospel to others. And as we do so, that, that message sinks down deeper into our hearts. As we proclaim the message, it's, it's preaching the gospel to ourselves again, even as we're preaching it to others. So we are reminded of that we are so desperately in need of God. It's not our strength or our ability. It's God's own power at work to change us, to make us new. So as we are proclaiming this message to others, we are hearing it ourselves. And as we are bold to proclaim that message and and to hear it again ourselves, others are hearing it. And as we're actually engaged in this great work of evangelism, we get front row seats to what God is actually doing. How encouraging to be proclaiming this message and then to see the fruit of it, see that God is actually gathering more people to himself today, right now, in our community, before our eyes. What a blessing and a joy to be part of that incredible work. God is doing a great work of salvation. Yes, it's very easy for us to get discouraged at this. You know, I look out into our community, I hear stories of, of families and children, and they're just heartbreaking situations. It's so easy to get discouraged so quickly and just see all the brokenness and just think Satan is winning this battle. And yet that is not true. The truth is right here. No matter how bad things look, no matter how discouraged you are, God is doing His plan of salvation powerfully. He is changing lives right here, right now. God's work is going forward effectively no matter what it looks like from our tiny little perspective. And when we know that, when we are able to participate that, 
when we have hearts that respond in faith to that message, then we are able to live as God's true people with hope and peace and joy and love. Please pray with me. Father, again, I confess my own sin of unbelief to you. How ridiculous that I would question your work in the world, that I would get so discouraged that I would listen to the voice of Satan saying, no, it's not going to happen. Instead of listening to your powerful word, allowing that to form me and change me so that I can see that you are active, that you are doing something beyond my ability to understand, that I might praise you and rejoice with you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here too that you would stir their hearts, give them eyes too to see that you are doing something amazing. And Father, we humbly ask that you would even use us. Allow us to see it with our own eyes. Allow us, by your grace, to join in this great work. We pray this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.